And oh man, we've got a lot to talk about on this edition of the Chiefs on Podcast. Thank you guys for downloading and listening to this podcast. It's a Thanksgiving week edition of the Chiefs on Podcast. I'm your host, Farzine Vasugian. Uh, a jam-packed edition here on the Chiefs on. We're going to recap the Chiefs' loss over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which uh, is making a lot of noise uh, since uh, Sunday afternoon after the loss there. A lot to talk about. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about here on this podcast, especially with the responses from fans and just, just everyone's reaction from this. I'm going to touch on all of that in just a moment. We'll uh, recap the game, of course, and then go over the three biggest things about this football game, that, uh, my three biggest takeaways, and then we'll go out of bounds, we'll go around the NFL and also throw my penalty flags, and then we will preview the Sunday night football matchup between the Chiefs and the Broncos as the Chiefs look to wrap up the month of November on a strong note before going into the month of December. It's going to be a tough two-game road trip going at Denver and then at Atlanta. Two tough road games for the Kansas City Chiefs coming up. You guys can interact with me here, part of the podcast. You can do so on my Facebook page. Give my Facebook page a like, facebook.com slash sportscasterfarzine, or search my name, Farzine Vesugian, on Facebook and you will find my page. Give it a like. Interact with me on there. Also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. And uh, we can also use that part of the show. I'm going to be reading a lot of your Facebook comments and tweets on this podcast. And uh, if any of you guys run a Facebook page, maybe a fan page that you have for a blog or maybe for your business, whatever it is, you guys get these statistics. For those of you who do this, you know what I'm talking about. There are these statistics that come up that show, uh, you know, your how many people actually see your posts and how many people are interacting. It's pretty funny. Uh, the amount of views I got on my posts this week have gone down, but the amount of interaction, the amount of comments I'm getting, have actually gone up. I don't know how that happened, but according to Facebook, that's my page uh, from this weekend. So, and here's the thing: I pride myself on fan interaction with this podcast. I'm cool with that. Uh, if we have just 15 listeners, if all 15 of them are interacting with me on social media as part of the podcast, I'm cool with it. So, uh, and it's it kind of weird the way it works out. And of course, everyone wants more views. And, you know, I'll take it. Uh, I've always been talking about fan interaction, and that is what I want. That's what I ask from you guys. So I appreciate you guys on the Facebook and Twitter pages. Uh, we're gonna get to your comments. Uh, this is uh, this has been kind of an interesting recap for me because immediately I, after Alex Smith threw that pick, uh, I, I think people decided to go ahead and post their thoughts because people had come to the conclusion that the winning streak was gonna get snapped. Uh, you know, listen, man, football's a weird sport because in baseball you can lose a couple of games and. When I say a couple games, I'm talking consecutively. In You're okay. It's not the end of the world. Whereas in football, if you lose one game even, it's, uh, it, it, it's tough for fans to swallow. It's tough for them to take in. Uh, to, to, I mean, listen, I, I've said this before. You only have 16 games. That's not a lot. If you want to take one game, one of the 16 games, that's almost 6.5% of your season right there. Now, I know 65 doesn't sound like a lot, but 
You play your second game, okay, well, now 13, almost 13% of your season is in the rearview mirror. Then you go to your third game, and, uh, I mean, that's all, almost 20% of your season. So, uh, the the football season, to me, is the weirdest because it just goes by really, really fast. They say it's a long season. Yes, it, it is. A lot can happen in, 16, in a 16-game stretch, but... You only have 16 games to prove yourself. In the NBA, you have 82. In baseball, you have 162. So the, the I mean the, the the sport of football is designed I mean it, it's designed far different than any other sport. You could lose 3-4 games in the NBA and not necessarily be in horrible position with your with your standing. Same thing with the with with baseball. The Royals could drop four or five consecutive games, and it's not like they're completely out of contention. Whereas in football, now I know what fan, Chiefs fans are going to say because of last year, but bear with me here. Ninety nine percent of the time, if you lose five games in a row, how in the hell are you going to make the playoffs? Now in football, I mean, with the Chiefs case this week, take one loss. And fans are losing their minds. Now, I get it. I even said this on the podcast last week. This is a team that has to win. That's what I said. Because right after that Tampa Bay game, you've got two very tough opponents coming up. Both of them on the road. And I've got to say, guys, I mean, the final six games for the Chiefs, Say what you want about the Titans and the Chargers, but man, the Chargers aren't playing like the way they did early on in the season or the past couple of years. They're not a playoff team, so to say, but they're a very competitive football team. The Tennessee Titans, they're certainly not your, I guess, New England Patriots type of threat in the NFL, but guess what? That offense with the way Marcus Mariota's playing and the way DeMarco Murray has been this year... Uh, I, I think the Titans can come to Kansas City and, and give the Chiefs a run for their money. If the Saints, the Colts, the Jaguars, if all these teams, the Panthers have been able to do that for the Chiefs, and if the Buccaneers have been able to pull off the upset against the Chiefs, and by the way, give credit to the Buccaneers and their coaching staff. They studied the game film. They looked at what the Chiefs were able to do to barely survive against the teams that I just mentioned, and they they found a way to exploit Kansas City's weaknesses. Which we'll touch on shortly, but I could see a team like Tennessee coming here and doing what the Jaguars and Buccaneers did here at Arrowhead. And by the way, speaking of Arrowhead, it makes it a little tougher to swallow because this was a loss at Arrowhead. That that it snapped that big streak of Kansas City's that they've had going for more than a year. That that winning streak. Uh, but you know, all good things come to an end sometimes, and for the Chiefs. Uh, at some point you knew uh, the Chiefs weren't going to go undefeated forever at Arrowhead uh, from here on out, but the way it happened, I think, is is just what's bugging people. And there's been a lot of reaction from Chiefs fans, all right? Uh, l- let's get into it. 442 yards of total offense by the Bucks. Jameis Winston threw 331 yards uh, and a TD on 24 of 39 pass attempts. Tampa Bay converted on 11 of 16 third downs, which helped dominate time of possession 
by keeping the football for 35 minutes and 18 seconds to Kansas City's 24 minutes and 42 seconds. Now, yes, I, 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 I'll, I'll say it right now. I agree with a lot of people that the defense should have played better and could have played better. But everyone's pointing the blame on this defense, and I, I just think that's wrong. Yes, uh, the third down conversions, those are, that's not good. The, that also led to time of possession uh, going Tampa Bay's way in a big way. Uh, but the defense found a way to give up just 19 points. They limited the Bucks to just 19. And again, I understand the defense did allow the Bucks to dominate time of possession in this game. But at the end of the day, you only surrendered 19 points. I think if you told every head coach that you would surrender just 19 points week in and week out, I, I, I think that head coach would say we should be able to win double-digit games this season easily. Maybe even more than that. So for for the Chiefs, this wasn't this wasn't their best performance defensively. But look, I, I've said this before, and I've said this on the podcast, I've said this on Facebook and Twitter. This was not a shock to me. This defense hasn't been good on third downs all season. This defense has allowed a lot of yards all season. With the exception of that 9-0 start under Andy Reid, this Chiefs defense has allowed a lot of yards and a lot of third down conversions. It just wasn't exposed as much in those games because this defense found a way to come up with takeaways. And, you know, normally the Chiefs don't lose a game like this to a, to a team like Tampa Bay. And this is one of the worst losses the Chiefs have had in, in terms of the quality opponent they, they went up against and, and lost since Andy Reid's gotten here. And I think that's what's driving a lot of Chiefs fans crazy. But the defense isn't why you lost, okay? First and goal at the four. The Chiefs run a jet sweep with Travis Kelsey. That's a five-yard loss. And listen, a lot of people are talking about that play with Travis Kelsey, who who had just returned to the field after a a slight injury scare there. Listen, here's what I'm going to say. A lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, but hear me out. That's not a horrible idea on paper when when you talk about giving a handoff to Travis Kelsey. A trick play is called a trick play for a reason. If it works, the coach is a genius. If it doesn't, the coach is criticized because he came up with a lame trick play that failed, which is exactly what happened in this case with Travis Kelsey. Now, Travis Kelsey has unique speed for a tight end. So again, the idea to me, it that's why I'm saying it's not a horrible idea. The, the thought of it is not asinine to me because this is a guy who can who can run the ball and outrun a, a few defenders if he can get open in space and uh, get the turn he needs and get the blocking also maybe Andy Reid saw something on film that made him think okay Travis Kelsey's speed would be enough to fool this defense and score a touchdown now I'm getting way too much in the X's and O's which is I mean that that's something I love to get into even though I'm not a I'm not a former player or a coach or any, or any of that. But I, I, it doesn't take a genius to really know this either. The Buccaneers had a short field to defend. So their entire defense wasn't... Those defensive backs aren't going far away. Those linebackers aren't spreading out. Maybe if you run that same exact play, if it's second and four at the 50 at midfield, 
that at that point, the defenders, first of all, the defensive backs are probably going to provide a lot more space and a lot more cushion for your for your pass catchers, your wide receivers, essentially. And the linebackers are probably a little more spread out because, again, you have a, a, a larger field to defend. So that get, that would have gave Kelsey probably enough to gain a first down when he needs just four. Now, again, I, I just don't like that idea at the four-yard line because the Buccaneers' defense, I mean, they're not going to go in a prevent defense at the four-yard line. They have a smaller field to defend, so they don't have as much room to cover. So that was an easy play for them to defend. I hope that I hope that made sense for all of you guys. Again, if Andy Reid calls that at midfield, second and four, at the fifty, I think that can go for a first down because you you've got the linebackers spreading out, the defensive backs. I mean, they're probably expecting a pass, so they're going backwards a little bit. At that point, Travis Kelsey probably has enough yards to get those four yards he needs for a first down and move the chains. Now, even so, I will say this. Why are the Chiefs running a jet sweep with him? Again, Kelsey's got great speed, but you have Tyreek Hill, DeAnthony Thomas, Albert Wilson, Chris Conley, Jeremy Macklin when he's healthy. Now, again, obviously he wasn't available for this game, but you still got a lot of better options. And I don't know what it is, but for some reason that uh, jet sweep with Tyreek Hill... The Chiefs run that every single week, at least once or twice a week, and teams know it. They study it on game film, and these opposing defenses just can't find a way to stop it. So the Chiefs have done that successfully. They did successfully in this game. I don't know why you you just don't continue to do it until the defense finds a way to stop it. The Chiefs failed on third and short on multiple occasions in this game. The Chiefs' offense had 343 yards of total offense, which again, that's actually not horrible. But they came away with only 17 points when the Chiefs trailed 12-10 to in the fourth quarter on second and goal at the six. Smith threw a horribly telegraphed touchdown pass attempt to Chris Conley. But Chris Conti, uh, a, a different Chris who Alex Smith ended up uh, connecting with, just got in the way, swiped the pass, and gained 53 yards to put the Bucks at midfield and eventually march their way uh, through this defense and get it got, got that touchdown. Here are my three takeaways from this game. Number one, the defense did not lose you that this football game. Okay, yes, there are some things they could have done better. The, those eleven third down conversions and the four hundred plus yards, not good. They've got to get better at that. But they gave up just nineteen points. Your offense has to capitalize if your defense holds uh, your opponent to twenty or fewer points. Like I said, the, this defense really, they've, they've been like this ever since Andy Reid's got here. So I guess it just got exposed in this case against a team that's not playoff caliber, so to say. And of course, it, it, it translated into a loss. That, that's, I guess, the difference in this case. The Chiefs defense always, always has had the bend, don't break style. They allow a lot of yards and a lot of third downs, but they find a way to limit teams to a field goal more times than a touchdown or they'll force a turnover. Secondly, Andy Reid's play calling, uh, it, it, it just continues. I don't think it necessarily lost him the game, though. I really don't. You guys might disagree. Fine. 
But at the end of the day, you know, those trick plays that Andy Reid has in the playbook, especially in the red zone, I, I don't know what's going on there, okay? It's not working. If there, if, if there was a way, which, by the way, we can do this by going back on game film, but I'm not going to do that. I, I mean, I don't have all the, all the games on me, uh, on my DVR or any of that. Maybe one of you guys do. But Andy Reid, if we were to go back and look at every single trick play the Chiefs have ran, I guarantee you, if there was a percentage of those trick trick play success rates, it would be very low. A very low percentage. And on top of that, Andy Reid's not the one who threw that telegraph pass to Chris Conley. And there are some Chiefs fans out there calling for Andy Reid's job just for one loss, their first loss since September, essentially. Or I should say October, pardon me. The Chiefs lost to the Steelers on October 2nd. On the Facebook page, I did say September, but you get the idea. The Chiefs are 38-20 and 20 under Andy Reid. The idea of wanting him fired is ludicrous. I don't know, I, I mean... In what world does it make sense that after everything the Chiefs have gone through with Herm Edwards, Todd Haley, Romeo Cornell, how does it make sense to get rid of a head coach who's 38-20 and 20 and has guided your team to its first playoff win in 22 years? That doesn't make sense to me. Alex Smith. This is where the topic, I mean, we've got those quote-unquote hot takes out, okay? Uh, listen, I've been on the bandwagon of... Alex Smith is no Tom Brady, nor a top-tier QB, but he has had a hand in helping the Chiefs win a lot of games since 2013. Yes, he's been on some good defensive teams with the 49ers and the Chiefs, but him being one of the highest winning uh, starting quarterbacks percentage-wise since 2011, that is no accident. Again, he's not a top-tier QB, but he's doing enough to win you games. He's done enough throughout his, I guess since 2011, I wouldn't say throughout his career. I take that back. Since 2011, Alex Smith has done enough to win you games. And a big part of it, one of the things he's the best at in the NFL is taking care of the football. But not lately. He he, just, he hasn't been the same lately. Nine touchdowns, four interceptions, two lost fumbles in the eight and a half games he's played. And I'm saying eight and a half because he didn't play the entire Colts game. He's 24th in passing yards, 26th in yards per game. He's 27th in touchdowns. The Chiefs have talent on offense, which I've been praising forever. And I said on the last podcast, man, this offense just isn't living up to the potential. I keep talking about the potential that this offense has, but they're not living up to it. And Alex Smith is a big part of that. The Chiefs offense... The ta- they've got a lot of speed on, on this offense, and I think they can do a lot of damage on opposing defenses. But if Alex Smith is under center, that offense is never going to live up to its potential. Stephanie sent me a tweet uh, Sunday evening, and it did not occur to me until she sent this tweet. And I heard Bob Fesco mention this Monday morning as well, but Alex Smith really hasn't been the same since that head injury against the Indianapolis Colts. The offense's recent most previous touchdown before Alex Smith's run, right before halftime, Nick Foles was the QB. That's the last time the Chiefs had an offensive touchdown. Nick Foles was the QB. Uh, on top of Smith struggling to bounce back from that injury, he is 32 and will t- turn 33 this offseason. 
And look, I mean, that telegraph pass, uh, that's horrible. He did not move his head. After he faked that handoff, he did not move his head. It was straight to Chris Conley. And Chris Conti saw it. And listen, give give Chris Conti credit too. Defensive backs and linebackers are taught that if you see a quarterback telegraphing his pass, that's the that that's a sign for you to get ready to jump in the way and swipe it. That's exactly what Chris Conti did in that situation. That's what a lot of defensive backs do. I mean, we may not notice it, but a lot of times these guys in the secondary they will see. A quarterback who's telegraphing his pass and, and they'll try to get to the area as fast as possible, get in position to try to come up with that interception. It's exactly what you saw Chris Conti do. Here's my thing, man. The Chiefs have a great defense. They really do. They have a, a Super Bowl-type defense. But these players on defense might not stick around longer. I've said this recently. I'll say it again. It's hard to create longevity with 11 guys on offense and defense. The Chiefs may lose Eric Berry this year. Maybe they don't. I don't know. Dontari Poe might be gone after this year. Tom Bahali and Derek Johnson, they're under contract. However, uh, those are guys who are just getting older and older, and they could be flirting with retirement very soon. This is a championship-caliber defense, but there is no balance on this football team. There is no offense to complement this this defense to help you win a Super Bowl. That's good. Now, forget about the Super Bowl, even getting far in the playoffs. That's going to be the tough part if the Chiefs can't... If the Chiefs can't win a Super Bowl this year, I don't know when it's going to happen. Because, like I said, you may start to lose a couple of your key players on defense. You lost Sean Smith this past year. I know he's not doing too good with Oakland, but... Look, maybe he's not being coached well in Oakland. I don't know. I feel like if he was still here with the coaching staff that he's been working with, I I think he would have done great. And it it would have been nice to see, you know, both Marcus Peters and Sean Smith, you know, continue their duo together as 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 strong quarterbacks. Now with Sean Smith gone, who's next? It's going to be Eric Berry and Dontari Poe. Is it going to be Derek Johnson and Tom Bahali after that? And these are guys who are very, very hard to replace. And listen, I know there are guys like Ram McWilson, Chris Jones, uh, guys who have really stepped up uh, the past couple of games. But, uh, you know, you just don't know if those guys are going to be the next Derek Johnson or Dontari Poe or, or, or Tom Bahali. That, to me... That's going to be the toughest part as a Chiefs fan. If the Chiefs don't win a Super Bowl, this defense, I mean, might be one of the one of the best defenses the Chiefs have ever, ever had. And there was no Super Bowl opportunity there for this defense. I think if you gave this defense to Dick Vermeil's team in the 2000s, Oh boy, uh, they would have snapped that playoff drought a lot sooner and probably would have won a couple of playoff games, maybe even have gotten to a Super Bowl. I mean, that's how good this defense is. And if they were with that offense in 2003, uh, I mean, that would have been a hell of a team. And look, I mean, this defense that the Chiefs have right now, it's up there with the defense that the Chiefs had throughout the 90s. 
And of course, in the 60s and 70s, when uh, the Chiefs did go to a couple of Super Bowls, winning one of them under Hank Stram. I would hate to see the Chiefs waste an opportunity like this. If they somehow bring back Eric Berry and Dontari Poe, give John Dorsey some sort of award for being able to keep this defense together. I was surprised Jay Howard stayed this offseason, to be honest with you. Especially with with what the Chiefs had planned. I mean, they probably knew about Chris Jones for a while. I mean, the, these general managers, they've got a big list. And they, they, they have some, some guys high on their list. Maybe Chris Jones was on there. So bottom line, I I mean this this is a defense that they're capable of winning a championship. They've done so much to put the Chiefs in position to win. Look at 2014. 2014's a great example. Kansas City's worst loss in 2014 was the season opener to Tennessee. They lost by 16 points. That's two possessions. That's two eight-point touchdowns. That was their worst loss of the year. There are a lot of teams that their worst loss of the year is a 20-point game or a 30-point game or a 40-point game. I think that stat right there is a fair representation as to just how good this Chiefs defense has been. They went almost a year and a half without allowing 30 or more points in a game. And that's all on Alex Smith, man. If the Chiefs have a better quarterback under center... They can go a long ways. I remember in 2012, uh, the Chiefs were praised for having a good football team. And the topic from the national media was, the narrative was, the Chiefs will only go as far as Matt Castle goes. What happened that year? Defense played great. They sent three linebackers to the Pro Bowl plus Eric Berry. So four defensive players to the Pro Bowl, that's no accident. Certainly not an accident. But offensively, Matt Castle was horrible. Brady Quinn didn't do very well when he filled in, and the Chiefs only won two football games. I mean, that defense, they've done a lot, and they've still stuck around for a long time, even through some of the bad moments, especially 2012. I mean, I, I mean, 2012 was a great example as to just how great this defense is. I mentioned that Ravens example, which I'm not going to go through and repeat because we, we've got a lot to do on this podcast. Again, jam-packed podcast here on the Chiefs zone, but... Go back and listen to the last podcast. I mentioned the uh, the whole Raven situation in uh, 2012 when the Chiefs played them. <laughs> it's um, it, it's tough for me to watch this team and see the offense waste opportunities, and a big part, big reason is Alex Smith. Alex Smith, that pass he threw, that interception he threw. I get him, man. Everyone throws an interception, but Alex Smith is one of the best in taking care of the football. Like I said, he does not throw that interception normally. That tells you something. He's thrown interceptions in back-to-back games. He had just two interceptions all year before these last two games. Now he's equated that total in the last two games. And I think the Chiefs have got to strongly consider... I mean, they've got to do something. And I'll be realistic. I know everyone wants a new quarterback. This offseason. Okay. All right. Well, here's what I'm going to do on this podcast. I'm going to give you a realistic list of options the Chiefs have for quarterback this year. And trust me, it's not a very exciting list. I'll get to that in a moment. With that said, uh, the the Chiefs need a new new quarterback. Alex Smith's contract allows you to part ways with him this offseason. 
but again, uh, realistically, I don't know if, if the Chiefs are going to do that because there aren't a lot of great options out there. Let's go to the Facebook and Twitter pages for just one moment. You can like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash sportscasterfarzine, or search Farzine Vesugian, and also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Uh, just gonna just gonna read some of the responses here. I talked about I I wrote the final score and uh, wanted you guys to talk about the uh, it just really provide your thoughts. Daniel said, "Let's get healthy." Adrian said, "Everyone is hurt. Heal for Sunday." I'll say this right now: Yes, the Chiefs are dealing with injuries, but injuries are not a reason as to why the Chiefs failed on third and short multiple times, and for Alex Smith to telegraph that pass to Chris Conley. Troy said this has to be the last year for Bob Sutton and Alex Smith. Yet another long year hoping for wild card crumbs and a first round loss. Dean said a lot of injuries, didn't care for the officiating, but in the end the Chiefs lost the game with subpar play. Uh, Joe said Alex sucks and the defensive call sucked today. Why was there no pressure? Yeah, yeah, that's something I didn't get into. D Ford, uh, I mean look, he, he's not going to get a sack every single game. He's turned it up lately. Uh, he was very quiet in this game too, even before his injury, so... You know, you're without, even without Marcus Peters and with a quiet D Ford and Justin Houston, you know, he's still taking some time to be back in his old form. The Chiefs still allow just 19 points. And by the way, you want to talk about this defense, you know, Steven Nelson, he batted up, he broke up a, a touchdown pass that Mike Evans should have had early in the game. So the Chiefs could have easily lost by two possessions, but didn't. So if anything, the defense helped. Not allow a big deficit, essentially. Uh, let's see. Ryan said this team's shortcomings have been masked a little bit by their record. Outside of Tyreek Hill, these receivers are worthless. Tom Bahali needs to be on the bench. These uh, Namby Pamby. Oh, that's interesting. Namby Pamby five-yard passes are explicit aggravating. <laughs> Oh, I love some of your guys' comments. Uh, Troy said we'll lose the next two weeks. Troy's been a big pessimist on the Facebook page. I, I don't know why, man. Uh, I mean, this team's 7-3. and three. Uh, Scott said suspect to red zone play calling. Missing playmakers. Poor third down defense. We played like a 3-7 and seven team, not a 7-2 and two team. Kyle said I never bag on Alex Rick, but he cost us the game. I'm done with him. Chris said time for overreaction about Reed and Smith. Fair enough. Uh, the best things that happened to this team since 2010. Uh, trying to try. I mean, if you guys commented twice, I don't want to read uh, from the same people. Mitch said four of fifteen on third down defense won't ever win a game. Uh, almost hit for the Chiefs, though. Crazy enough. Kyle said Reed should not be allowed to be a play caller again. WTF is a TE sweep on first and goal. Uh, Joe said let all the hate on Alex Smith begin. He didn't allow Tampa Bay to go eleven of fifteen on third down. Over half of those third downs. And uh, over half of those were third and five or more. Pardon me. I uh, misread that. Uh, defense was pathetic. Offense needs to run that hurry up uh, no huddle offense more often. And he's referring to that late touchdown. Uh, the Chiefs had to cut the deficit. It was a sad defensive showing today. Macklin being out shouldn't hurt the offense as much as it has. Here's the thing, man, with Jeremy Macklin being out. Jeremy Macklin has not been good this year. He just hasn't. So... To me, the offense hasn't been that much different with without with without Jeremy Macklin. His absence really hasn't made me think differently uh, of the offense. To be honest with you, 
Uh, Blake said get rid of Smith and Foles, get Tony Romo, and pick a QB in the first round of the draft. That's a lot of money that's going to be spent on QBs if you do that. Uh, Brett said uh, blank embarrassment. Carly said see what happens when people talk about politics openly. That shouldn't. They end up coughing on Tampa Bay's nuts. I have no idea what that means, but hey, like I said, I promise to read these comments here. Uh, Chris said, uh, damn, they lost a game. Don't hear all the haters while they were winning. Kelly says, if they can't beat Tampa at home, I don't see them beating the Donkeys at their home. No, I feel like there's been a lot of overreaction. I reminded you guys that they're 7-3. and three. I mean, there are a lot of teams who would kill to be in Kansas City's position position in trade spots. Uh, I'll read some tweets also. Ryan said, not good. Andy Reid or whoever is calling the play sucks. It will, it's Andy Reid. And, man, if only if someone could re- remind Andy Reid what happened when he let Doug Peterson, the offensive coordinator, call the plays. And I've got to say, man, I don't know what the point is of ha- what's the point of having co-offensive coordinators if neither of them are the play callers. I don't. I, I really when when it was announced that the Chiefs had co-offensive coordinators, I said for sure someone's going to be calling the plays other than Andy Reid. Turns out that's not the case. James says I'm tired of watching a team try not to lose. I want to see us play to win. Uh, and of course he joked, qu- quoting Herm Edwards on that. There, uh, Squish said the injuries hurt, but that offense is going nowhere. Andrew said off offense struggled. But we need to address the cornerback position in the first or second round. Second drop interception and couldn't get a stop on third down. Uh, James or Jacob said, ugly. Offense was too conservative and I knew the defense couldn't hold them for much longer. Hopefully the loss wakes them up. And Sheldon says, Andy Reid and his quarterback are awful. I get it. Uh, I mean, the QB play, I, I, I think even the... Biggest Alex Smith supporters like myself, like I said uh, earlier, uh, I think we're coming to the conclusion now that you've got to make a change. He's done enough to win you games in the past, but now, especially with that injury and now with him being 32, being 33 this offseason, are you going to get a lot of quality play from Alex Smith, basically? I don't know. I'm not too confident in that moving forward. I'm really not. With that said, who's going to replace him if the Chiefs go and part ways with him? All right, well, you've got Kirk Cousins from the Redskins, who I think would be the best option out of any QB from free agency or the draft, uh, unless the Redskins find a way to keep him. Ryan Fitzpatrick is is really the next best quarterback available in free agency. After that, maybe Case Keenum. I'm going to stop right there with quarterbacks that are set to be free agents because as soon as you heard Ryan Fitzpatrick and Case Keenum, you probably just wanted to shut off the podcast. Hopefully you haven't. Hopefully you're still with me. Now, maybe Tony Romo becomes av- available. Okay. How long is Tony Romo going to last behind Kansas City's offensive line? That's a really huge risk you're you're throwing there. And I listen, the, the, the Cowboys have been really lucky this year. They've got a rookie running back who might be an MVP candidate. And they've got a rookie QB from the fourth round, if I'm not mistaken, who's also an MVP candidate. I mean, the Cowboys really have some luck on their side. But listen, man, not every QB has that kind of luck where 
they draft a QB in the middle of the uh, draft, and next thing you know, he's your he's really an MVP candidate. Not every team just has that luck. People keep talking about how Tom Brady was a sixth round pick. Anytime a QB gets drafted in the sixth, sixth round, oh, there's already these Tom Brady comparisons. Not every it's not going to happen every time. In fact, it might happen once every fifteen years. So let's not get our hopes high on this. And let's, I'm, I'm against the Tony Romo idea, man. Uh, that guy's just as fragile as Brody Croyle. So who do the Chiefs have in terms of players they could draft? There's Deshaun Kaiser from Notre Dame, who's projected to go very early. Very good with his accuracy his, and his ball placement, and he can play well under pressure. That's a scouting report there from Walter Football. Uh, Mitch Trubisky from North Carolina, he's a junior, so it's not for sure he'll go, but given that he's projected to go in the first round, um, might end up going. Makes good decisions, good accuracy, very efficient. Next is Deshaun Watson from Clemson, another good QB who might be taken in the first, maybe the second round. Uh, he's a guy who people consider, they consider him as a guy who has a decent arm, good accuracy, but could struggle in a pro-style offense. And he may even stick around another year in college just so he can hone his skills and improve his chances of going early. Bottom line, outside of Kirk Cousins, there are not really any viable options. Maybe Nick Folds, but his contract is set up to where the Chiefs pick up the option for a second year, which would make have him... Making anywhere from six point seven five million to sixteen million. That's based on his performance for this year. Yes, he knows Andy Reid's system, but he succeeded when Chip Kelly was the head coach. People keep talking about how he had that great twenty thirteen season to help the Eagles turn their season around. Yes, but who was his head coach? Not Andy Reid that year. It was Chip Kelly. So the idea of him. Go having a similar season where he had 20 touchdowns and two picks after replacing Mike Vick. I don't know if I'm that confident in him doing the same thing with the Chiefs. I know he's a different quarterback, and the way he moved the football against the Colts was exciting, but he had a really horrible outing against the Jaguars. Overall, people, I know Alex Smith isn't the most exciting QB to have on your team, but I don't know who you're going to get this offseason that will really help your offense improve. I hate to say it, but I think Alex Smith is coming back next year. Let's go around the NFL. All right, uh, Monday Night Football was played in Mexico City this week. Here's what I'm going to say. Stop. With these international games, you're never going to have a team in London. You're just not, nor Mexico. I know London is a different time zone. Mexico isn't, but still, if you get, if you're the, if you're a Chiefs player and you get traded to the Mexico City Oilers, uh, I'm just picking a team that that, that isn't uh, that's defunct. Mexico City Oilers. Let's just say that. You're moving yourself and your family to another country. I'm sure it's tough enough in the NBA too, with teams in Canada Canada being part of the league. But man, 
stop playing your regular season games in other places. Keep our sport in our country. Second thing I want to get into, 11 extra point attempts were missed on Sunday. I love that the NFL moved the extra point attempt last year. I love it. It has made games more interesting. PATs are no longer 99% guaranteed. Total PATs so far this year, 709 makes out of 754 attempts. That's a 94% success rate. I know 6%, a 6% drop-off doesn't sound like a lot, but trust me, that's huge considering the PAT. That is big, and that has actually made a difference for some teams. The way they go about uh, going for two or staying out there and having kicking the PAT. It's, uh, it's a fun twist to the game. I love it. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, it's been rough, man. Haven't been to the playoffs since 2002. Last time they made it before 2002 was 1994. Since 2002, they finished below 500 in 13 of their last 14 years. Funny enough, 2007 when they won 10 games and barely missed the playoffs, good old Romeo Cornell was the head coach there. The last head coach to help the Browns win a playoff game was Bill Belichick. Funny enough, he earned his first ever playoff victory while coaching the Browns against the Patriots, the team he coaches now. Listen, man, times are tough in Cleveland. Uh, for the Browns, at least. Not for the Indians or, well, maybe for the Indians also. Uh, but for the, I mean, the Cavs, I mean, they have a championship scene in Cleveland. They really do. And they want the Browns to have similar success. Listen, man, their time will come. The Royals were bad for so many years. People could not see the word Royals and World Series in the same sentence ever, unless the word never was also part of that sentence. And look at the Royals. They went to the World Series for two years in a row. Cleveland's time will come. It's going to take a lot of building to do. I mean, the Chiefs have been bad for, uh, I mean, they were bad for, what, five, six years from 2007 to 2012, and they found a way to bounce back, whereas the Browns continue to still be horrible for a long period of time. I don't know why they haven't been able to fix it. Some teams are able to rebound faster than others, and it's been very tough for the Browns. Very unfortunate that it's been it's been this long for the Browns. But listen, their time will come one day, and it's going to be a special moment for Cleveland, similar to sports fans in Kansas City when the Royals made it to the World Series, especially when they went undefeated, going 8-0 in that 2014 postseason. Let's go out of bounds. The Jayhawks stunned the Texas Longhorns in football this past week. That was awesome. And yes, KU fans, that is when you rush the field. You don't rush the field against the second worst team in the Big 12. You do. I know the Texas Longhorns haven't been great this year, but it's the Texas Longhorns. That is when you rush the field. KU's first win over the Longhorns. Since 1938, if I'm not mistaken, I, I, I think that's uh, my my grandparents weren't even born. I think that's when my great great grandparents were born. That is when you rush the field. KU fans deserved to celebrate that moment. They really did. However, there was a moment after the game that uh, didn't go too well, and uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, I also want to talk about this. Schlitterbahn, of course, a very popular uh, water park here in Kansas City, announced that they are shutting down the Verruckt ride after a young boy in August, uh, very tragic, uh, died on on the ride. Uh, two older women also were on the ride with him, suffered fatal injuries. 
Uh, listen, man, it's the right call. Uh, I'm not really big on roller coasters and you know big thrilling rides like this. Uh, fu- crazy enough, man. Uh, I remember uh, my brother and I and a, and a friend of ours. We uh, actually thought about going on that ride. And uh, when we heard it was a two and a half hour wait, which I don't understand the line system, the way they did it when I went there. Uh, but when, when I heard two and a half hours, I said, screw it, man. It's it's really not worth it. Um, it, it it's sad that it happened. I, I think that was right before the start of the school year. I mean, it's a family that took their kid just to uh, enjoy the last moment of summer. And um, it's unfortunate that it, it happened. So. Uh, I'm glad they're shutting it down. I, I never thought it was safe. It never looked safe. Uh, there's talks about how they didn't go through their regular inspections um, that year. Uh, I mean, it, nonetheless, I, I'm just glad the ride's over with. It's uh, it, it just never looked safe to me. Like I said, I, I, I consider riding it. I mean, after I heard there were no accidents, I said, okay, all right. Well, I, I guess it's safe to ride, but obviously not the case. And I think they're making a good call by shutting it down. Time to throw my penalty flags. Okay, listen. The NFL needs to chill out with the with, with the idea of trying to expand their popularity internationally and focus on this officiating, man. Uh, I mean, that Monday night game was not not a good look uh, when you're in Mexico City trying to trying to make the sport popular. Okay, well. You, your referees definitely didn't help you. Uh, if I'm, if I'm living in Mexico City and I, and I watch that game, I'm, I'm I'm trying to get enticed by the NFL. I'm not going to be impressed by the referees and their involvement in the game. I mean, that's not going to make me want to be a fan of the NFL. Remember Travis Kelsey's tantrum that some of you criticized? I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there were a lot of Texans players and fans who felt the same way. Travis Kelsey sent a message, man, and hopefully Roger Goodell gets it. Sure, they find him. Great. Start finding your refs. Start holding them accountable. And it sucks in the NBA because, I mean, there was a head coach who was recently fined for criticizing them in a radio interview. At least in the NFL, you can do that. There's got to be a change. All right, next flag. All right, uh, I'm going to have a lot of fun with this subject. Uh, Boy. Uh, Lily Gagan, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, if, if you've been following the news and if you just heard that name, I said, you probably know what the subject is about. She's a KU cheerleader and she is suspended after she took a picture on her phone on posting it on Snapchat of three male, uh, cheerleader teammates. Those three, uh, male cheerleaders, they had these KU Christmas sweaters on. With KU's old logo. For those wondering what that old logo is, it's just the letter K. Kind of a different design, whereas right now they have that K and that extended U. uh, Or or the extended K, kind of. But you get the idea. Uh, In the past, it was just the K, whereas now it's KU uh, with that logo. uh, With just the letters. So, those three guys, again, from the the cheerleading team, three of them stood together and their shirts read KKK. Lily's Snapchat, the female cheerleader involved in this, her caption said, KKK, go Trump. Now, on her Twitter, which is now private because of the media's coverage about the story, she tweeted and claimed, 
someone used her phone and took the picture and uploaded it to uh, to Snapchat with that caption. Basically, she's saying she didn't do it and that someone else did it for her. Oh boy. Let me say this. If somebody really did have her phone, that's even worse. Listen, man, it's almost 2017. Everything you post is under scrutiny. There is a, a, a teacher who uh, is under a lot of heat because she took the phone, uh, the microphone away from uh, a, a student with autism, an elementary uh, student, uh, because he wanted to just say gobble gobble on his Thanksgiving play when all the other students had a chance to get on the mic. And she clearly tried to take that mic away, not letting him have a chance to speak. And it was on film. Everything's under scrutiny these days. So her excuse of, uh, what is it that someone else went on my Snapchat? Basically, someone else had her phone, I guess. That is a worse excuse than the dog ate my homework. It really is. Um, Listen, this is just her trying to cover her you-know-what because she wants to get out of her suspension. And look, those three boys who are also suspended, I don't know if they knew about how this picture was going to be taken and portrayed. Uh, I think they're investigating this. KU Athletics did say they're investigating this. But, man, uh, like I said, man, it's 2017. You need to know. I'm a very outspoken guy. I, I say a lot of sarcastic things on my Facebook. But I always think twice before I post something. I don't ever post something that would ever offend anyone, really. It would only offend anyone if they don't have a personality or a sense of humor. Outside of that, you know, I, I, I'm very cautious with what I put, with the jokes I post on social media. Some of you guys are friends with me or follow me on Twitter. You guys see the stuff I post. Uh, you've got to be, first of all, my phone never leaves my possession. It's never in anyone else's hands. I don't know why uh, that would ever be the case with anybody, especially in today's age with how things can get blown out of proportion so quickly. She needs, she needs to own up that she made a really bad joke. She really did. And here's the thing, man. Not that we all know KU cheerleaders publicly, unless you, you're friends with them or you go to school with them. Uh, but they are public figures. They have their own profiles. Their names are on the KU Athletics page. She is a public figure, and she does represent the University of Kansas and its athletics department. She honestly deserves to be removed from the team. You cannot represent your university that way and get away with a racial slur. KU Athletics, by the way, has had a really bad picture with some of the things that have gone on uh, with with these sexual assault cases. That that, that I mean, just just the things that have gone on with some KU athletic athletes the past couple of years. Um, it's it, it, there's been a really bad picture painted for some of these athletes. And look, man. It's no secret that a lot of student-athletes get away with a lot of things, and some of these KU athletes were not punished. I'm glad KU Athletics did something about this, but, you know, a a bad joke versus sexual assault, I mean, I do kind of scratch my head on that one. But, But at this point, I'm glad they're doing something, because KU Athletics is continued to be put in a bad light with some of the things that they've been involved in and not just with the athletes, even the university too, with 
some of these rape allegations that have gone on on campus. And uh, it, it, it happens at a lot of universities, but KU's been exposed for it more. And the Huffington Post, I mean, they had that article, what, 2014 or 2015, and uh, it, it went all over the news. I think it was November 2014. So listen, man, uh, KU is a university. I mean, there are a lot of great things that go on at KU. Being an alum, a former student, and a fan of, of KU, of course. I, I mean, I love my alma mater. I really do. But there there has been kind of a dark picture uh, represented with KU. And the university's got to do something about it. They really do. I mean, she, this student and anyone else involved on in this horrible joke, they cannot be brought back. And because if you bring them back, you're essentially saying it's okay. I, you just you, listen. I know players have done bad things. I mean, some players have been caught with uh, possession of something they shouldn't have. Maybe they get in trouble. Whatever the case is, sure. I mean, I, I think they deserve harsh punishment too. But racism, man, that, 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 that there's no room for that. There really isn't. And I think these people, these cheerleaders anyone anyone involved on the joke maybe it was just that one girl maybe she tricked those male cheerleaders into thinking hey line up for a picture um she re- she deserves to remove from the team I, I don't buy the lie of oh someone had my phone that, that that's a horrible excuse keep your phone to yourself don't let anyone else have it simple as that All right, let's break down this game between the Chiefs and the Broncos. Sunday night football matchup uh, just a couple of days after Thanksgiving, so hopefully a nice way uh, to, to, to uh, spend your Sunday evening after the holiday. And, uh, of course, uh, I'm going to have to be very careful with social media because I'm a big Walking Dead fan, and uh, this interferes with, uh, with with the Walking Dead, and, and apparently this week's going to be a big episode. By the way, I don't, I don't know why, but the Chiefs and Broncos, uh, this is actually the second time in recent history, that they have been flexed to Sunday night football after Thanksgiving. So, uh, I guess the NFL has a thing for uh, scheduling these two teams right after Thanksgiving and putting flexing them to Sunday night football. And, and that's what happens when you're winning games. Uh, good for the Chiefs and the Broncos for being in this position. Looking at the Broncos' offense. 27th in total offense. 23rd in passing. Casey is 22nd in that, in that category. The Broncos are ranked 22nd in rushing. The Chiefs are 21st in that category. So the Chiefs, slightly better in passing and rushing. However, Denver is 14th in scoring, whereas the Chiefs are 19th. The Chiefs are scoring 22.2 points per game. Broncos, nearly 24 per game. Broncos have converted on 38% of their third downs. That's just below league average. The Chiefs have 23 takeaways. Broncos have 20, not too far behind the Chiefs. They've got 10 interception and 10 fumble recoveries. On the season, Trevor Simeon, seventh round draft pick from a year ago, hasn't panned out the way the Broncos would have liked for him to. Uh, he's done enough to win you games, though. Done enough to help you win seven games up to this point. C.J. Anderson and Devontae Booker, decent running back duo, but the Broncos don't run the uh, the ball as much. Anderson has 437 yards on the season. Booker is right behind him with 396. The passing game is where the Broncos succeed the most. Uh, again, I know statistically that doesn't show up, but they've got a couple of really good receivers in Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. And it's funny, I mentioned the running backs, how close they are in yardage. Same thing with the wide receiver, their top two receivers. Uh, Demarius Thomas, 
20th in receiving with 678. Emmanuel Sanders is just two spots behind him with 668. Here's the good news for Chiefs fans. The offensive line for the, the Broncos is awful outside of center Matt Paredes, who might be the best center in the league. But the rest of the offensive line, really bad. Donald Stevenson might be the worst offensive lineman in the NFL right now. Pro Football Focus, uh, has, they have their grades for their players. Donald Stevenson, Stevenson has a grade of 28.7 on Pro Football Focus. Former uh, Chiefs lineman, of course, drafted out of Oklahoma. Uh, listen, man, uh, this bodes well for KC on Sunday. Uh, if Justin Houston can try to get back into his old form, D4 hopefully could have a better game if he's healthy, ready to go. It's also hard to talk about this game so early. It's Thanksgiving week, so that's why I'm doing the preview all in one podcast. Uh, so it's kind of hard to know who's going to be available, who's not at this point. So you guys will have a better understanding when uh, when it gets closer to uh, Sunday. But for right now, there's a good opportunity for the Chiefs to get to Trevor Simeon in this game. They really do. He's been sacked 19 times, but that doesn't always tell the whole story. He's been under pressure a lot this year. He isn't getting the time he needs from his line to make the right passes. He's completed just 60% of his passes, which puts him 28th and barely half a percent better than Brock Osweiler. Funny enough, that's who the Broncos were trying to retain. Couldn't do it, though, and he moved on with the Texans. Total defense, second against the pass, 29th in stopping the run, though points per game. Kind of crazy how these two teams are very similar. They're very different football teams. Stephon Miller, we all know what he's about. Nine and a half sacks just behind league leaders. D Ford and a half sacks. Derek Wolf has four and a half. Shane Ray, former Mizzou product, has Jayhawks who I really loved watching uh, when they were at KU. Uh, he also has three forced fumbles and he's recovered a pair of fumbles this year. Chris Harris. One of the best cover corners in the league. Same with Akib Talib. Again, those are the two former Jayhawks right there. Talib is ranked number one on Pro Football Focus. Harris is third at the cornerback position. That's got to be great for the Denver Broncos. I know they took some big losses this year defensively. I mean, they, they've still got Brandon Marshall, who's a good linebacker. Uh, but man, when you have those two guys, and just coincidentally from the same college, You've got arguably the best cornerback duo maybe in NFL history. Tlaib has three picks, one of them for a pick six. Bradley Roby, who the Broncos drafted last year, or a couple of years ago, I should say, he has an interception that went back for six. So, I mean, he's been able to do that as well for the Broncos this season. Safety, Darian Stewart, very dangerous safety, has three picks for the Broncos this season. Brandon McManus, great kicker, one of the best. 21 of 24 this season. His three misses are from 40-plus yards on the year. He's missed just one PAT. Longest successful field goal is 55 yards away. And Riley Dixon, one of the better uh, punters in the NFL who's replaced Britton Colquitt, brother of Dustin Colquitt. Uh, Dixon's done a good job. He's actually pinned uh, the football inside the 20 14 times this year. So... uh, I'll say this right now, with the defense being 29th against a run and the Chief Travis Kelsey and maybe Tyreek Hill every now and then, uh, they've got to consider going. able to stop that, Spencer Ware and Charkandrick West, I know Spencer Ware hasn't been as good as he was early that old form, and maybe even Charkandrick West to 
be the running back. The Chiefs have got to go run heavy. I know that's not the style of offense we see from a lot of teams today, but in this game, this matchup, when you're going up against that dangerous secondary that Denver has, I don't want to challenge those guys. Not with Alex Smith. You've got to go run heavy in this game. And I think if the Chiefs do that with their offense, they can go out there and score some points. Maybe not a lot of points, but maybe enough to win. The Broncos' offense is nothing scary here. Yes, the, the Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, that, I mean, those are two good receivers. Better than what the Chiefs have right now. At the same time, with that really bad offensive line Denver has, I think D. Ford and Justin Houston can get to the quarterback a couple of times. Dontari Poe may be as well as center in the NFL. But I think that Chiefs' front seven can have a field day. And, uh, rip his jersey up a few times in this game. I would say I would, maybe a couple of turnovers too for some of those elevated passes. Chiefs have got to come up with some interceptions in this game and continue doing what they've done uh, the, the best at, in the NFL, which is taking the football away from offenses. 23 takeaways to be exact this season for the Kansas City Chiefs, and hopefully they can extend that to maybe 25 or 26 by the time this game is over. I know it sounds crazy because... Of the way the Chiefs have played lately, but I think they, they're they going to go on the road in Denver and pull it out. I really do. I think the Chiefs are going to win this one. I think it's going to be a low-scoring bout, but I think the Chiefs can uh, get out of Denver with, uh, with a win in their pocket and make it eight wins for the season. As far as my final score, I've kind of gone back and forth on this. Like I said, I, I think it's going to be low-scoring. I don't think either team is going to score more than 20 points. I've got the Chiefs winning 17-16. I think it's going to be a very narrow victory. It's going to be another quote-unquote ugly win. But hey, look, the Buccaneers got a quite an ugly win against the Chiefs this week. But guess what? They got a, an upset win over the Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium. So the Chiefs all take an ugly win at Denver. We haven't seen a lot of wins over the Broncos lately. I mean, yes, the, the, the last time these two teams played, the Chiefs won. But before that... It's been a long time since the Chiefs have been able to defeat the Broncos. I mean, you don't see that often. Uh, So hopefully the Chiefs can go out there and get the job done. I think they will do it. I think it's going to happen. 17-16, my final score prediction. Chiefs improve to 8-3 on the season. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Chiefs Home Podcast. Obviously, this being Thanksgiving week, you may have listened to this before or after Thanksgiving. If you're listening before, hope you have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Hope you're using this podcast maybe uh, on your road trip or whatever the case may be. If you're listening after Thanksgiving, hope you guys enjoyed your Thanksgiving. Uh, had a happy holidays. And, of course, uh, you know, it's a, it's a joyous time of the year. So, uh, it's a really good time. Everyone's seeing their families, their friends. Uh, you know, if you're a college student, I, I remember in this case... Uh, when I was a college student, coming back home, seeing some of my old friends from high school, uh, or, or other friends who who are who you know also from your college, also they're they're also from the, your same hometown. So it's just nice being able to see everybody during during this time of year in the next uh, month and a half. So definitely enjoy this time uh, with, with friends and family, and of course enjoy the game Sunday night when the Chiefs play on Sunday Night Football on NBC. I, I know it's been kind of a nightmare for the Chiefs playing on Sunday night. Hopefully they can uh, get over that hump and uh, pull out a win and uh, make those folks at NBC happy because the Chiefs are going to be playing on NBC again later this year on Christmas night uh, against the same team, this time at Arrowhead Stadium. So, And it's pretty huge because it's a division game. They've got the same record, and the Chiefs have got to find a way to, uh, to, to hang in there in the standings because the Raiders are ahead right now after that Monday night football win. Controversy or not, 
uh, the Chiefs got to find a way to try to get that because getting a, a playoff game at Arrowhead would be nice, especially getting a win. It has not happened at Arrowhead in a long time in the postseason, so that'd be nice if the Chiefs could do that, and uh, it's got to start this week. Try to stay close to the Raiders or maybe even get ahead this week in the standings uh, if the Chiefs can get a little bit of help. So uh, I, I've got the Chiefs in this one, 17-16. Thank you again for downloading and listening to the episode. Facebook.com slash sportscaster Farzee and follow me on Twitter at Farzee21. Please subscribe, tell a friend about the podcast. Until then, I'll talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving.